Welcome to Power, Strength and Vulnerability, the mental health podcast. It's time to make mental health a normal conversation with your host, Shane Kelton. Welcome to another podcast. I'm your host, Shane Kelton, and today I have a a lovely guest. Um, I think in our previous podcast, I said she was my wife, but she's not my wife. She's actually my fiancé-to-be wife in 2020. Uh, So I've got Alicia Mortley here to join me today, and she's going to go through, I'm going to ask her some questions um, about anxiety and what caused the anxiety, and we're going to see how we go along the way. Welcome, Alicia. Hello, Shane. How are you? <laughs> Good. You're speaking like we just seen each other for the first time. We actually, we actually came together. Like. Yeah. <laughs> um, so basically, just first off, I want to get a bit of a rundown on your childhood and life, so to speak, up until last year. Um, so I grew up um, with a loving family, with a mum and dad and an older brother. Um, you know, I was kind of like my brother and my dad would do absolutely anything for me. Um, you know, I would, whatever I said, they would basically do. Um, I've always been a really active person, um, played netball since I was nine. Um, and I've always had a passion well, for fitness, but also for teaching. Um, and so I yeah, started teaching probably about nine years ago now. Um, to, did a degree um, in teaching. It was, yeah, one of the, the biggest achievements that I've achieved um, to complete that degree. Um, what else do you want to know? <laughs> um, well, is that a summary of your life? <laughs> um, this is your life, Alicia Mortley. That is it. I also, um, I will go into detail about this later, but um, I was previously married. Um, I was with um, going out with a guy. I was from high school, um, and then that finished. That ended at the end of start of last year. Um, and yeah, now I'm no longer a teacher, and now a personal trainer. Okay, cool. So basically, through that through your childhood um, and your twenties, basically, was there any mental illness issues that you suffered? Um, no, there was no mental um, health issues and or illnesses. No. Um, I was, yeah, absolutely in love with my sport. I was obsessed with doing cardio. Um, I, you know, would do cardio at least six or seven times a week. Um, so it was more about I wasn't happy with the way I saw myself and so I just wanted to keep doing exercise um, to get that sort of body I wanted. Um, so that was kind of my outlet was, you know, was just doing exercise all the time, but mentally I was, I felt fine. There was no issues whatsoever. Um, I was someone who did diets in my, um, in my twenties, uh, so I said, yeah, I wasn't happy with the way my body was, but, um, I was still, yeah, really happy with everything going on in my life though. That sounds like a story for another podcast. <laughs> yes. To be honest, uh, I'm sure there's. A few people out there have gone through some of the same stuff with that sort of thing. So basically what I want to talk about tonight, today is um, an issue that happened last year. And if you wouldn't mind, I'd like you to kind of fill the listeners in on the, the issue that happened last year and we'll talk a little bit about the anxiety that followed. Yeah, okay. So I suppose 
leading into my anxiety last year, um, I did separate from my husband in April. Um, and I think that started uh, a downward spiral for me. Um, initially at the start, I had a lot of support from friends, uh, a lot of my close friends um, in relation to um, separating. Um, and then as the months went on, I slowly started to lose my friends. Um, and I suppose I started to lose my closest friends, um, the ones who I thought that were my best friends. Um, and one of them, uh, yeah, then that, that hurt. So that was mentally really hard for me. Um, that kind of then led me to, I suppose, drinking um, a lot more than I would. Um, I would drink, I suppose, wine every night and sometimes would be two to three glasses. Um, and this was just to help with me going through the losing of my closest friends. Um, then I suppose, yeah, as you know, I was coming in, I was single and I didn't know how to be single because I hadn't been single um, basically my whole life in a sense. Um, I'll just stop you there for a little bit before we go into the next bit. How does it feel for you losing that support network around you? Like, what did it make you feel? Did it make you, I mean, I don't know what it feels like, to be honest, but did it make you feel like you're a failure? Did it make you feel you weren't worth it? Or how did it make you feel? Um, it made me feel like, yeah, I suppose a failure in a sense, that they judged me for my decision, um, that... They didn't believe I should be ending my marriage, um, but they didn't know how I actually felt. And I was kind of tried to say to them, well, would you prefer me to stay with someone that actually I don't love anymore and I don't want to be with for the rest of my life, or would you prefer me to be happy? And it's kind of I got the feeling that they wanted me to stay in the marriage. Um, and I kept saying, I can't, I can't do this. I'm so unhappy. Um, and it was just that constant judgment that I was breaking my vows Um but I, I couldn't I couldn't hurt someone and be in a relationship with someone that I didn't love anymore. And for them to just judge me like that, I did feel like a failure because, um, you know, they thought I should have stayed in something that I wasn't happy with. Um, obviously, it wasn't an easy decision, but that's not what we're going to talk about today. What what happened next? You said you started drinking and you start, started on this downward spiral. What was sort of the... What happened next? Um, so I suppose I started um, the dating online apps. Um, they weren't, I hadn't experienced any of that, so that was completely new to me. I was, yeah, there was. They wouldn't have even been around before. No, they weren't. No. So I had no idea what, you know, Tinder and everything was. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is pretty overwhelming. That, And I, I kind of felt, um, you know, why am I doing this? Like, why am I doing online dating? Like, has this is this what my life's come to that I've now got to do online dating? Um, and I suppose then I was also trying to I was using online dating, but I was also chatting to guys through um, Instagram and also through Snapchat. So I, because I suppose I lost all my friends and I had no one to really speak to, or I had no relationships with anyone. I wanted to have that connection with someone. You know, find a connection with people. Um, you're you're missing that connection. Yeah, I was. You are. Yeah. Uh, now I know you. You are a very tatty, talkative, yeah, <laughs> sociable person. So yeah. that was obviously extremely hard in that. 
Yeah, I was. And um, I suppose the people I was speaking to were, it was, they were the wrong type of people. Like obviously in a sense they were only after one thing um, and that wasn't the right avenue, but I wasn't in the right headspace. Um, and they were giving me the attention that I needed. Do you think? Do you think though no, you were only there for one reason? Um, well, and let's let's say their reason was sex. Yeah. But your reason was not sex, not all relationship. Yeah. It was kind of just to have someone to talk to. Have some attention. Yeah, it get was. Attention. Yeah, have some attention, and yeah, that was my one reason. So I suppose we just had completely different yeah. reasons why we were talking to each other. Um, but I suppose, uh, one night I had, yeah, a bit too much to drink. I think it was a, it was either a Friday or a Saturday night. I can't remember which one. And, um, because I had lost my friend, I, I wasn't doing anything on, um, during a Friday or a Saturday night. I wasn't going out with my friends. Um, mind you, I do have to say, like, even though I lost some of my closest friends, there were, um, a number of, there were a couple of people that did stand by me. So I did, it's not like I lost everyone, um, but, yeah, this Saturday night um, I was chatting to random people, you know, through the dating online sites. Um, and then I suppose I was chatting to someone through Snapchat and um, sending pictures through back and forth just of, like, you know, your face, et cetera. Um, and then he kind of asked me or, um, to send a more provocative picture towards him. Um, and at that point in time I was like, you know, I was didn't want to do it because that wasn't the reason why I'm trying to, you know, why I was talking to people. Um, and then I suppose I just kept pursuing it um, and asking for a photo. Um, and I think because I'd been drinking and I was so emotional, um, I ended up sending a picture. Um, it was just from my neck to my stomach, so it was topless um, to this guy and because um, it was through Snapchat, I felt I felt safe because I knew, well, it was going to be gone in 10 seconds. Yeah, if it got screenshotted, you knew. Yeah. So there was. Yeah, so I knew um, 10 seconds later it hadn't been screenshotted um, and I felt safe. I was like, yep, yeah, okay, this is all good. Um, I didn't know this guy at all um, who I was speaking to. Um, and so. Yeah, I woke up the next morning and everything was all, all fine. Then I suppose, uh, I don't even know how long it was, um, maybe a month later, I found out um, at school um, one of the Year 12 students approached me and said that this photo has gone viral and it's gone around uh, Year 12 Um and I was absolutely mortified, absolutely mortified because I couldn't believe what had happened, what my life had come to. Um, and then I was getting strange looks the whole time around the school and I felt the place where I felt, you know, so safe and, you know, uh, a place I absolutely loved, I didn't want to be there anymore. Um and I kind of, then I approached, I messaged this guy on Snapchat and I'm like, what the hell have you done? Um, I can't believe you would do this to me. Um, and he was in denial. He denied that he had done anything. Um, and he'd sent through, he said, you know, I didn't take a screenshot. And I'm like, well, I'd seen that what had actually ended up happening was one of his mates 
had taken a photo of his phone. So he technically, yes, didn't screenshot it, but his mate had taken a photo. Um, and then they tampered with the photo as well. Um, so that just, yeah, made things completely, you know, worse. But the only thing that, uh, the only positive thing out of it all was no one actually knew it was me because my face wasn't on this photo. Um, and so that that was really hard being around the school knowing that this photo was circulating. And I then had I got shown the photo. Um, and at this point in time, I suppose the year 12 girls were very supportive of me because they would they've been in the same situation before. They've sent, you know, provocative pictures to guys before and um, they knew exactly what I was going through in a sense. Um, then uh, I was thinking, all right, maybe this will be okay. This is the end of it. Um, and this was just the start of it. It just got worse and worse. Um, one Friday afternoon, I actually, it was a really bad day because I actually um, snapped the ligaments in my ankle playing a netball game uh, with the school. And then that afternoon got called into the principal's office. And I knew exactly why she was calling me in. Um, and to have to face my boss about this incident was something that I didn't want to do because she looked at me as a really successful teacher and now that was just gone. Um, I'd lost all my credibility as a teacher and um, my life was just ruined at this point in time. Um, at that point in time, I was told to take leave from school um, so they could invest the situation to find out how the photo had come into the school. Um, and I, at this point in time, I was like, the only way I could communicate with my mum that why I was staying home from school for a week was that I said they've told me to take time off because of my ankle. So I didn't want to tell my mum because I didn't want her to feel like, you know, I was a failure and she would look at me in a completely different way and then I'd let her down. Um, then things, I suppose, kept getting worse and worse and that um, parents were contacting the school and saying what a disgrace I was, that they didn't want me to be around their children. Um, and that I was not a role model anymore. Um, it got taken to the press. Um, it was put into a, a newspaper. Um, it was also gone. To, uh, the police were contacted. The VIT were contacted. Um, and at this point in time, I didn't know what was going on at school. So my anxiety levels were really high at this point. And there was only one person that really stayed in contact with me at the school um, who was so supportive throughout the whole thing and she never judged me at all she just still loved me um, as her friend um second week I had taken another week off off leave um and I still I kind of lied to my mum um again and there were two days that she was home that I had to actually get out of the house and go somewhere else because I didn't want mum to think why are you still home from work um so she still didn't know at all um, at this point in time, I was seeing a school counsellor because uh, that was what was my, um, the rules, I suppose, were in place. That's what I had to do. Um, 
I was then had uh, two weeks of school holidays were off. Um, so that kind of was good to know that I wasn't, you know, at school. And so then my return date was going to be the start of term three. Um, my anxiety that day of walking into the school grounds was off the charts. Uh, have you felt Have you felt anything like it? Can, and can you remember that feeling now? Um, I, I can remember that that day like it was yesterday. Um, I felt sick in the stomach. Um, I didn't. I wanted to walk away. I didn't want to drive to school. I, it felt like um, the longest drive to school, and um, I, I felt really hot, and I just wanted to vomit the whole time. Um, as soon as I stepped foot in at school, all I felt like every student's eyes were on me and were talking about me the whole time. Um, and when there was that constant judgment, oh, my God, there she is, there she is. You look back now and you think that maybe it wasn't all of them looking at you and judging you. It was maybe some of them, but it was maybe your head and your thought process that was thinking everyone most, here is doing it. Yeah, most definitely. That was what uh, my, the council was um, trying to tell me, that it um, – it is your head playing tricks on you and that you think everyone's talking about you and judging you. Um, but I wasn't in the right headspace to believe in, you know, to hear that, um, those positive comments, to hear that, that not everyone was looking at me, but that's how I felt. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, it was too, I couldn't change that. That's how I felt the whole time. Um, so the feeling of anxiousness and the feeling that everyone was judging you, was it, was it more that you were so embarrassed by what you'd done or uh, or how how it evolved? Like your life, you got to that point where you did something you never thought you would do. Yeah, I, I was really embarrassed because that's not something, um, you know, I know people, you know, I've sent pictures in the in the past, but I couldn't believe my life had got to that. Um, and I was thinking, you know, I'm a teacher. How could I have done something so stupid? Like teachers are going to be so careful in what, you know, what they do and what they say, et cetera. And um, it's like I'd, you know, I'd worked so hard to become a teacher and I literally just, it just got taken away from me. I threw it away um, because I was no longer that role model. Um, and it was just, I was, a, I looked like, I felt like I was a failure and I couldn't really do the job that I wanted to do anymore. So you basically felt that this situation you put yourself in, because you admit that you put yourself in that situation, um, you feel that you were letting everyone down, basically, yeah. Yeah. from that. And where did it go from there? You, you obviously hadn't spoke, spoken to your mum about it. No, who, I haven't. Who else knew? Like, apart from the people at the school, was there any communication with any of your friends or any of your family or anyone to you about the incident or any questions? Did anyone want to hear your side of the story? No, no one. Like, by this stage, um, a lot of my closest friends had, like, completely disowned me about it. Um, there's one person that um, kind of stuck through me for a little bit of it um, and then she slowly drifted away. She was quite supportive, um, like, came into meetings with me, with the principal, Um and then that that kind of died off for some reason, and then I, yeah, we're no longer friends anymore. But um, there was only a you know, I would say about three people that knew my and that knew my side of the story. 
Um, and they were people who were really supportive and stood by me. It's kind of like everyone else was judging me, but I'm like, you don't even know. It's like you don't even know the true, true part of this story. You're, other people would have been just hearing rumours of what's actually happened, and that made me feel like absolute shit that no one would give me the time of the day to tell my side of the story of what actually had happened. Do you feel like the rumours in itself were actually the why people were treating you like they were? Do you think the rumours, I mean, exaggerated the whole situation? Oh, most definitely. Like, you know, the, the rumours were out of control in what had happened. And I couldn't believe that, you know, and it made me think that what people who were my friends, I'm like, are you actually believing these rumours? Like, and it's like they were because they stopped talking to me, said, like, ever since that incident happened. I'm, like, thinking, how could you believe so much, like, this rubbish that's been said? And it's, like, students, like, teenagers make so much crap up. And I couldn't believe yet that they were believing this crap. So it's not even the fact that kids, teenagers make stuff up. It's the fact that, like, Chinese whispers, like, tell someone one thing and then 20 people later it's a whole different story. So... What were some of the rumours that you heard over that period of time? Uh, um, that I had had sex with Year 12 students, um, that I was partying with Year 12 students every Saturday night. Um, that was the two that really stuck in my head. Um, that would, I, yeah, I, I suppose I kind of tried to erase them from my memory. Um, yeah, they were probably the worst too. Yeah, so I guess over the next period of time, how was that anxiety for you? Because you'd never suffered anxiety before. You never even knew what it was, really. Yeah. How did it make you feel going forward? Like, what was the feelings? Like, how often were you anxious? How did it affect your life? Um, I was. It affected me every day that my anxiety levels were so high all the time, and I had to meet up also with another cat psychologist outside of school. Um, that were part of my um, the regulations I had to put in place, um, and I suppose every time that I got called into the principal's office, like the anxiety levels just increased um, every you know all the time. Like I felt sick in the stomach. Um, I started losing passion for what I wanted to do because um, I couldn't be at this school anymore. And I suppose when the times that I went into the um, the principal's office to find out what um, what the outcome was of, of the situation. Um, I suppose that was my anxiety was the really bad then because I didn't know what the outcome was going to be. Um, you know, it went through to the VIT um, and I suppose a hearing was being, you know, they were discussing it all with all the um, letters that I had to keep writing through my school counsellor. So I suppose that was why my anxiety, anxiety was so high because I was, shitting myself that I was going to lose my job. Um, and that was that was the end result. So I'm like, I can't lose my job. If I lose my job, what am I going to tell my mum? How am I going to face her and tell her why I've lost my job? So every day um, that's, that was playing on my mind of whether or not I was going to keep my job. I'd already had my uh, coordination position taken away from me. I already had my year 12 class taken away from me. So that was bad enough in itself. Because um, that's what I'd worked so hard for. Um, so I don't even know where I'm going. <laughs> Wait, um, it's hard to talk about. Yeah. Um, 
So I'll, I'll, we'll go on from that bit. And I want to I wanna ask the question, what are a couple of the hardest things that you had to deal with through that period of time, which your friends probably still don't even know? Um, I suppose the hardest things, one of the hardest things was that I had no communication with my mum. Um, I'm really close with my mum. Um, and, you know, we don't keep secrets from each other at all. And the fact I was lying to my mum all the time, that was something really hard to deal with. Um, and that's one thing I suppose no one really understood that the people couldn't, you know, knew why I didn't want to tell her, but um, it was that was something really hard that I was dealing with every day that I was going off and seeing school counsellors. I was seeing a psychologist and she didn't know, re- she didn't know the reason why. Um, and I suppose she was in a position that I was, because I was living with her at the time, she didn't really know how to look out for me at that time for my separation. She just wanted to give me space. So mum and I were separated, you know, she was giving me all this space, but in hindsight I, I needed her, but I couldn't tell her why I needed her. So there was something in earlier in our relationship that you told me, and it was about um, a letter you got. Is that something that you discussed with anyone? And like, how did that make you feel as well? Because it was an anonymous letter. Yeah, um, I suppose during term three, it started getting better. Days were starting to get better at school um, because um, I suppose I was speaking to a counsellor and psychologist. Um, and... I was moving on with everything and my principal was giving me positive um, comments that I was going to be able to keep, I was going to keep my job. Um, and then I suppose this day happened. I went to my pigeonhole and I, yeah, I found an anonymous letter in my pigeonhole. Um, and I just froze when I opened it because, yeah, it was it was like it was a, um, uh, a letter done with cut-out letters uh, from someone. Like a Movie yeah, it was li- literally like a scary movie um, letter that oh, I, I don't remember the exact wording of it, but it was something like um, along the lines of we can't have um, you teaching our young children um, this, oh, something, oh, I can't remember what it was to do with like, um, you know, something to do with pornos or something that that needed to be kept out of the school. Um, and I suppose I absolutely froze and I went straight to the principal's office at this point in time um, and she couldn't believe that parents would be, were writing this kind of stuff to me. Um, and that kind of spiralled me out of control again because I was thinking, you know, parents are even getting a hold of this and believing whatever their children are coming home and saying all this stuff about. So um, I was just then, I didn't want to come back to school again. I wanted to hide and I wanted, I didn't want to face anyone. Do you feel like the support was there for you going back to school? Um, I feel like as time went on, um, the support was lacking each time, um, that I didn't feel, you know, I didn't feel safe around the school grounds as much as I used to. Um, and it's like they, it's like they were kind of believing some of the stuff that was happening. And I felt though that 
they should have been my number one support people and helping me through this. Um, but as time went on, I felt that support slowly drift more away because they kept taking things away from me. And I'm like, hang on, if you support me, why do you keep removing things away from me? Because um, that kept, you know, um, making me feel like, yeah, they, that they believed the rumours. And so then there was a day that they called me into the office to tell me my timetable for next year. And this is when I knew they, the support had completely gone because I was only allocated junior school classes and all my senior, I was not able to teach senior classes. I wasn't able to teach the netball program that I, you know, started. And I, I couldn't, I couldn't face it, the fact that this school had, you know, stooped to this level that I'm thinking, why have you done this to me? Um, you say that you're supporting me, but you're taking everything away from me that um, means so much to me. Do you blame them though? Um, because, and I say that because they're probably stuck in a little bit of a corner. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I know 100% what you're saying there. That they were obviously protecting their name as a school, um, and also trying to look out for their students as well, um, and wanted to, I suppose, keep peace with the families and the community around the school. So, yeah, I suppose I look back now and go, yeah, probably um, they had to put things in place to show parents that they were doing something about this situation. But back then I wasn't in the right headspace to believe that. Um, I was just thinking, you know, you can't treat me like this. Like I'm one of your teachers that um, needs the support right now and you're just kicking me to the curb. So I felt like basically at the time that they were acting on evidence they didn't have. Correct, yeah. That's, yeah. that's, what, that's, that's how it made you feel really. Yeah. And the only evidence that was there and the only evidence that will ever come out is the photo. Yeah. And you've admitted that and acknowledged that. Now, um, so through that period of time, how did you manage to deal with keeping yourself healthy um, at this point in time, um, I was depriving myself of food. Like I was, I felt so sick in the stomach that I, I didn't want to eat. Um, I was still drinking. Um, I couldn't exercise due to my ankle injury either. So my health was deteriorating. Um, I didn't want to come out of my bedroom. So I was... Mentally, I was I was just struggling. Like my physical health was um, being put on hold because of this anxiety that taken over. It was it taken over my whole body. I had no control of myself at this point in time. So um, I kind of then got to the stage that I would do light and easy um, because that was something. It was just delivered to me, and I was like, okay, I've got to get some food into me um, because I was feeling I was actually feeling quite sick. Um, and I had no, I had absolutely no energy and I, I knew I had to, I knew I had to do something cause I needed to turn my life around or else I was just going to keep basically going into this dark hole. Um, and I knew this wasn't me. I knew I had to get myself out of it. So I want to ask a question bef before I forget, basically, when did you tell your mum? How did you tell your mum? And what was that like? Oh, God. Um, so I suppose uh, it was a night that uh, Shane and I were out together 
Um, and I came home that night and he knew something was up. Um, and he, he asked me, you know, what had happened and all that. And I said, there's still, there was people looking at me in that pub and I still had that constant judgment of people just staring at me and making comments at me. Um, and I suppose, well, I'm calling you Shane, like you're the person next to me. Um, I suppose what you helped me through is like, you've got to stop blaming yourself for it. Um, and this was really hard to hear from someone who, um, I'd only just started dating you like, you know, a couple of months. Um, and so to have to go through this with a new relationship and hearing it from someone to say, I would have stopped blaming myself. It was, that was really hard. Um, and I remember you saying to me that night, you have to tell your mum. You, you have to face the fear and you have to um, tell her everything. And I just remember that night, like, vividly, like, I just broke down crying because I, I didn't want to tell her. Um, but I knew I knew you were right. Uh, and I'm, I'm nodding my head because I'm almost <laughs> right. I knew you were right and I knew that I had, I had to do it because it was kind of a little bit of closure. And you'd also lost a lot of the people around you. Like, yeah. By hiding it from the closest person to you, you basically weren't telling four or five of the your best support network. Yeah. Um, so I suppose still some of my closest friends at that point in time didn't know. Um, so, yeah, my closest people that stuck by me, they knew something had happened except for my mum, and they knew they just wanted to be there for me. So I suppose uh, I I remember saying to you that you have to be there with me when I tell my mum, and I think it was the next day uh, that we actually went over to our house to tell her, and I was shitting myself, absolutely shitting myself. Um, (laughs) Thank you, mum, for your pregnancy. Yeah. Um, And we kind of sat down with her and said, there's something I need to tell you, and my heart rate was through the roof because, as I said earlier, I didn't want her to be ashamed of me and think that I was a failure. Um, and then I, when I finally opened up and told her everything that had happened, um, she there, there, there was no, um, you know, disapproval or anything. She was just, she felt so bad that she wasn't there for me throughout the whole experience. Um, and it was, it felt like a huge weight off my shoulders. So I could finally tell my mum what had actually happened. Um, and I suppose to have the two people that I loved at the time be there with me and no judgment was passed off, you know, they still loved me for the person I was and didn't see me as that person at all. Um, and mum was just so supportive and, I knew she would be supportive, but as I said, I didn't want to let her down with what I'd done. Um, and she she just had so much hate for all the people that had treated me like shit and so much hate for the people who had removed themselves as my friends um, because they couldn't believe, she couldn't believe how people could just not support me through this um, and help me through it. And so she, yeah, felt bad that she wasn't there, as I said, to support me through one of the hardest things that I've, I've ever had to go through. And since that conversation, you've really spoken to her about it, like just because you know that's important. Yeah. yeah. And 
You don't really need to. Yeah, no, I don't. Like, in some way, I, I think, like, that made us even stronger. Like, we, as I said, like, we were close anyway, but um, it did bring us closer together. She was, I remember kind of her saying, you know, make sure you tell me, like, don't um, don't hide things like this from me. Um, I'm not, you know, you're my daughter. I want to love you regardless. Um, so in, in the future, um, you know, just tell me. I'm always going to be here to support you. So that meant so much to me. What else over that period of time have you done now to sort of make yourself mentally stronger and mental, mentally healthier? Um, I've seen the counsellor help heaps. Um, I actually I was seeing three different counsellors at the time and at some points I was very overwhelming, constantly speaking about this situation so the school counsellor, that was really hard because I had to keep going back because we had to keep writing letters to the VIT to explain my situation and justify all these rumours and I had to remember particular dates and everything. So that was really draining speaking with her um, because then I was reliving everything. So that one was really hard to, to speak with her. Um, then I had to speak to another counsellor, which I didn't have a great connection with, um, but I kind of just had to tick the boxes with that one and that I had to go see that person. I was part of the, the regulations that were put in place. Um, but the other counsellor that I was paying for, um, that helped heaps just talking through it and I had a really good connection with her. Um, and it was that kind of that support that I actually needed, that there was no judgement and she was giving me steps, I suppose, to put in place to help me through each day and when I did have my anxiety levels, she would give me little strategies of what to do um, to bring myself back in the room and to stop, um, you know, having those that sickness feeling or wanting to throw up. Um, so I think that that really helped having the school, having the counsellors um, be involved with me. Um, I finally opened up to my friends as well, my other closest friends. Um, and they were so supportive of me. Like there was no judgment whatsoever um, and they felt bad that they weren't there for, for me the whole time. So I think opening up to the people that meant the most to me, as said about my mum, it took a huge weight off my shoulders. Um, what else did I do? <laughs> um, I don't even know what else I did. Um I suppose I started to put more, I put structure into my life, um, started to plan things out on a day-to-day basis um, of what I had what had to get done on it every day because I was neglecting things um, that I suppose needed to get done. Um, so having a, a bit of a, a checklist and a bit of a plan every day of what I was going to do um, helped me through every single day because um, – and then I was I really had to focus on my sleep as well because my sleep was really being impacted because um, I was having nightmares. Um, but I suppose I was doing things um, like having, I suppose, a herbal tea beforehand or listening to um, some meditation before going to bed at times just to help um, me actually sleep because, yeah, that was being – I was getting deprived of sleep and then I was, yeah, feeling really lethargic the next day. How did you deal with the fact that you've lost friends and now some of them don't talk to you or don't even look at you, to be honest? Um, 
yeah, that's back then that was really hard and I had so many breakdowns. I remember speaking to you about um, all my meltdowns that I had about that. About weekly? <laughs> yeah, it would be weekly. Um, and I think you kept telling me what, well, you know, they're obviously not your true friends um, and your true friends would be there through, you know, thick and thin, um, you know, that they and then I just kind of I had to move on in a sense, but that was that was really hard to move on from because I thought these people would be my friends for life. Um, so every every time that I had a meltdown, it was just like oh, I just I hated it because these girls meant so much to me, and you know, being how old was I, I was thirty three, um, so at the age of thirty three, it's really hard to make friends again. Um, and that's what I was struggling with, that I'd lost about five or six really close friends, but then there was a, a whole network of school of friends from school that I'd lost as well, which would have been, you know, close to 30 people. So at the age of 33, I had to find ways to make new friends, and that was something I really struggled with. Probably something you've never had to deal with before. No. Um, so... Do you think that it was just they didn't accept that you could make mistakes? It was because it was one mistake you made, and yeah, that was and it. I still like it was what that one mistake, and then there was still the judgment of me separating from my husband as well. Um, that I think that all just uh, you know escalated, um, and I sent text messages out to these out to them, trying to reach out to them and trying to find out why they weren't talking to me. Um, because I was thinking, what have I done? Like, you know, help me understand why you're not talking to me. Um, and no one responded to me. And that really hurt because I'm like, you know, at least have the decency to tell me why you're not speaking to me. Um, and that's what I thought. I was like, I'm done. Like, I can't deal with, I can't keep putting myself down about this anymore. If these people don't even have the decency to write back a text message to me. Now, question, would you still do anything for any of those people if they needed you? You know, the funny thing is um, I probably would um, because that's the person, type of person I am um, and that some people would be like, why? Like they let you, they weren't there for one of a period of time that you needed them the most but I'm someone who will forgive and forget and, yeah, would still help those people out if they if they did reach out to me and I'll, you know, build a bridge and, you know, try and move on. But time so, will tell. What's the plans <laughs> going forward for you to manage this? Because anxiety is now probably something that's going to be a part of your life forever. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's It's come. And yeah, it may go, but there's still going to be situations where you get those feelings in the stomach. Um, I know I probably put you through a couple as well, but that's a story for another blog uh, <laughs> podcast. Um, but how do you manage that now going forward yourself? Um, how do I manage it? I still, I still keep in contact with my psychologist, um, and I suppose. Oh, I don't even know what I'd do now. Um, I've learned to 
forgive myself that, yeah, I fucked up. You know, so many people have sent pictures like that in the past and I can't keep um, blaming myself and keep saying, you know, talking myself down all the time. So I've, I have learned to forgive myself. Yeah, there are times that I go back and go, you know, I bring myself back to that dark place. But, yeah, I think one of the biggest things is I've learned to forgive myself and to move on. And um, I have made new friendships and I now focus on those positive things in my life um, and stop and, yeah, I've stopped worrying about those things that happened last year um, because there are so many positive things that I've got going now in my life um, with, you know, not no longer being a teacher. That was something that I... Um, couldn't do anymore so quitting teaching was something that was a huge relief off my shoulders that I needed to have a new beginning um so now um having a new job and being around um people that don't know my background at all um but even if they did there's some people that do they will now (laughs) if they're listening they'll know now um I feel like some of these people, the people I've made friends with now, um, there's not going to be that judgment, um, and they will they will be just supporting of me. Um, I'm trying to think what else I do now. Um, I suppose when I do have anxiety issues, um, one of the things that I do, um, I put music in my ears and just go for a walk, um, and that kind of calms me by just listening to music. And sometimes I, I just I sing as well at the same time. So people would just <laughs> you think, oh my god, it's this crazy person just singing to herself as she's walking. I roll my eyes and everything. <laughs> um, but that does calm me. It's just putting um, headphones on and just listening to music. Um, that yeah, it does help me a lot. Um, and I suppose just sitting by myself at times is I do like I've gone sometimes. Um, to a park and just sat in the sun. That's helped me um, just bring myself back to when I'm, you know, I'm feeling a, bit, a little bit crappy and those anxiety levels are quite high again. Is there anything you'd like to share finally <laughs> to end the podcast? Any advice you want to give anyone else? Is there anything that, any lessons you want other people to learn from what you've gone through? Um, yeah, so it's the biggest lesson if I could read, if this was, you know, if I could go back and redo it all over again, um, I'd reach out to my mum so much earlier. I'll tell her straight away, and you've got to those, you've got to have the support people around you, because um, I think that would have helped ease my anxiety a little bit if I had those people supporting me. Because I was kind of, yeah, you know, I was kind of doing it by myself, um, and so my biggest advice and learning curve for this is. Let people in that are closest to you and let them help you. Um, and don't try to do it by yourself because we're not invincible. And we do need – I can be stubborn um, at times. I just, just rolled my eyes again. <laughs> and I suppose at, at that point in time I was thinking I could get through this myself and as time went on I knew I couldn't. So definitely reaching out to people and um, letting them help you is some of the, one of the biggest things that I learnt and would give, you know, advice out to people. That's all the questions I have. That's great advice. So basically just to summarise, 
Alicia didn't have anxiety for the first 33 years of her life. And it, it, one incident in her life, her own doing, caused her to become anxious and have anxiety. So just a message to everyone out there, it can hit you at any point in time. So learning these skills can be vital to, I guess, make sure it doesn't happen to you or to help someone else. So thanks, Alicia, for sharing part of your story. I look forward to chatting with you in other podcasts, talking about me yeah, how difficult I am to deal with. Yeah. Um, I see you, Grace. Um, and to talk about other stuff as well, I'm sure we'll get you in um, more and more and we'll speak about how you had a big dieting background with uh, weight issues, self-esteem issues and like a lot of ladies out there so we'll get you back in so thank you and thank you to all the listeners for tuning in thanks for listening to power strength and vulnerability the mental health podcast if anything in this podcast has brought up difficult feelings please call lifeline on 13-1144. for any further information or if you want to bring your story to life contact shane at shane at vitalityfit.com.au That's V-I-T-A-L-I-T-Y-F-I-T-T dot com dot A-U.